Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Tonight will more than likely be our final uh, lesson on the will of God. I might have one other one next Wednesday just as a follow-up, um, not specifically teaching on what the will of God is from His Word, so much as uh, teaching uh, the the cost of not doing the will of God and the blessings of doing the will of God. And I've been uh, putting some things together. I may do that message next Wednesday night just to kind of wrap this all up and kind of close it all up. Um, but uh, I'm not sure if I'm going to do that yet Wednesday night, or I may use it uh, for a Sunday sermon uh, where uh, there are people here I'm sure that could use something like that. Um, so uh, anyway... Uh, Lord willing, tonight uh, will be our, our final night on these types of notes that we've been dealing with the last several weeks on it. And then uh, I'm, I'm very seriously considering and praying about uh, starting a study on uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses. We did uh, a study on the Mormons uh, about a year ago, and uh, hopefully it was helpful. And uh, we want to try to, I, I thought we were going to go straight from that into uh, the Jehovah Witnesses, but some other things uh, came up and just didn't feel like the timing was right on that. And so uh, we may go ahead and do that uh, study. And uh, when we do these studies, for instance, on the Mormons or the Jehovah's Witnesses, um, we're not doing it to try to uh, talk badly about those that are there and involved in that. We have a, we have a burden for them. What I, what I really try to accomplish with that uh, study is to help us uh, how many of you have had a Jehovah's Witness come to your door and you just kind of excuse them off and say, I don't want, you know, I'm not interested in closing the door? Any of you ever do that? I've done it before with a few others. Um, the problem is, the reason we often do that is we don't always know what to do to talk to them. And so these studies that we do, we try to explain what they believe uh, and to be able to show how we can deal with them. Um, for instance, when we dealt with the Mormons, um, even their own writings refute some of their uh, doctrine that they hold to. And um, getting them to come out of Mormonism and realize their error is only half of the battle. And uh, because they've had every everything they believed in has just crumbled. And the, 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 the hard part is to show them where truth is, uh, to get them to understand that the Bible is truth. Uh, because they just came from what they thought was truth, and apparently it wasn't. And so uh, making sure that we know how to adequately uh, talk to these folks, share scripture with them, uh, even use some of their own beliefs and their own teachings to show them the error of their way. And so, uh, Lord willing, we'll be doing that study, if not right after this series, at least very shortly on Wednesday nights. And I uh, hope that'll uh, be a help to you. I hope the, the, Mormon, the one on the Mormons was a help to you, and we may do a brief refresher on that towards uh, the uh, spring, uh, just a couple weeks, just kind of an overview of that, because it's, uh, oftentimes when you have a large study like that, you're learning new information uh, after about a month, you forget. Some of us less than that if we're, if we're old enough. So uh, anyway, be in prayer for that as we get to that. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 1. I'm going to Tonight's going to be a little bit different. We're going to go through rather rapid fire, uh, several uh, passages of Scripture um, that we won't be developing as much as we have in the past on some of these others, uh, just because they're fairly self-explanatory. 
the first one we are going to develop here a little bit. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 1 and verse number 1. The Bible says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through, and I want you to notice this phrase, through the will of God. And Sosthenes, our brother. And so uh, there are times that uh, God will call uh, people to do certain things. And that calling is the will of God. Uh, Paul was called uh, because it was God's will for him to be called uh, to be an apostle. And so I, I got to thinking on that, and I thought, well, does God still call people today? And do, is there anything in Scripture today that talks about this? So there's a few few passages of Scripture we're going to turn to, and there are a few things that I believe the Bible does teach that we are called to. And again, these callings are by the will of God. These are things that are God's will uh, that we do and that we have a part of. So let's look in Romans chapter number 1, if you will. Romans chapter number 1, we're going to read down several verses here, beginning in verse number 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called, here it is again, to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Now, I want to stop for just a moment. There's two things that I find here uh, that are a part of the calling that God put on Paul. Uh, in verse number one, the Bible says that he was separated unto the gospel of God. Separated unto the gospel of God. Now, I believe that was uh, something that was certainly specific to the Apostle Paul's calling, but certainly is applicable to each of our callings. And then he goes on to say in verse number five, that he received this grace and apostleship, notice this phrase, for obedience to the faith, for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. So the same thing that, that Paul was called to, to go into all the world and to be, to be obedient to the faith among all the nations, is the same calling that you and I are called to. Among whom ye all are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Alright? Uh, now, there's a lot of different definitions for saints out there today in the world that we live in. Uh, the Catholics are very strong on sainthood. There are certain qualifications and requirements, and the Pope has to make the final decision on whether or not somebody gets to be entered into sainthood. But the New Testament teaches us that if we trust in Christ as our Savior, we are called to be saints. And so I, I took some time to look this word up and to, to find out, well, what, is, what does it mean to be a saint? And, uh, and Webster's Dictionary, 1820 Dictionary, says this, a person sanctified. Now, we talked about that. Last, we talked on that last Wednesday night. Sanctification is the will of God. So a person sanctified... A holy or godly person, one uh, eminent for piety and virtue. So this is what we're called to. We're called to this sanctification, this holiness, this godliness. This is the calling of God. And, and Paul says that this calling is by the will of God. So God's will is, is for us to be called to holiness, 
for sanctification. Basically, he uses the word here to entail all of that. He uses the word here, saint. Now you say, well, how do I accomplish all of that? It's very simple. Verse number 5, he gave us how we accomplish this. Verse 5, he says, for obedience to the faith. Obedience to the faith. The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the what? Word of God. If we're to be obedient to the faith, then can we say that we are to be obedient to God's Word? I believe very clearly the Bible could teach that. And so we find that this calling that Paul said was the will of God is the same calling that we're called to. Now, not necessarily the calling of apostleship, but the calling to go into all the world to be obedient to the faith and to be called to saints, meaning we're to be called to this holiness, this godly living, this lifestyle of sanctification. Now, if you will, turn with me to um, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. What else would there be involved with our calling? Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. We're going to begin in verse number 21, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. He says, Art thou called, being a servant, care not for it? But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. For he that is called in the Lord, being a servant, is the Lord's freeman. Likewise also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. Ye are bought with a price, be not ye the servants of men. Now that's a very, very important verse in understanding this passage. <coughs> Brethren, let every man wherein he is called therein abide with God. So what Paul's getting to here is whether you are called as a servant or whether you are called as free, it doesn't matter. The calling is, in both instances, that ye abide with God. Uh, John spoke of this, when Je- or Jesus spoke of this, and John recorded it. When he talked about, I am the true vine, ye are the branches. He talks about, uh, if you abide in me and I in you, uh, my words abide in you. Uh, these types of things. The idea of this abiding in Christ deals not with our salvation, but with our ongoing walk with God, our, our time that we spend with Him. And so whether we are bond or whether we're free, it doesn't matter. Uh, no man should be a servant to man. We should be a servant to God. And we do that by abiding with Him. Now, what is it that uh, a servant does with a master. If we're, to, if we're to serve God, if we're to where uh, the Bible says, brethren, let every man wherein he's called there and abide with God. If we're to walk in, in, the, in the Spirit, is what Paul uses the word oftentimes, but to abide in God. What all does that entail? I believe it entails very much so the maturing as we understand more of Scripture. This, this daily growth to, re, to mature in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, to grow daily. Uh, it deals with our walk with God, our time that we spend with Him, both in His Word and in prayer. Uh, being sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. All of this is rolled up in this phrase, abiding in God or abiding God. So this is our call. It is also then to abide with God. These are at least two of the things in Scripture the Bible says we are called 
two. Uh, now, we don't have apostles today in the sense that the Apostle Paul was an apostle or the other twelve apostles were. Uh, but we do have folks that are called to be holy, to be sanctified, to live a life that is pleasing to God. And so uh, your calling, your calling is the will of God, that we obey that calling, that we're steadfast in that calling. Um, Paul, in fact, I think it's, it might even be in this chapter. Uh, in fact, it is, I think. Let's see here, see if I can find it. I just thought of this uh, just a moment ago. Give me just a minute here. Um, ah, I may not have that passage right at hand. But anyway, our calling is the will of God. And I'll, if I can find this other verse, I think it will be a help to us as well in this area. All right, and the next thing, uh, moving on from the calling, the being the will of God, let's turn to Colossians. Colossians chapter number 4. Colossians chapter number 4. Let's look down in verse number uh, 12. Paul is giving the salutation, and he names a couple of faithful uh, co-workers, co-laborers, people that are laboring for uh, the church at uh, Colossae. In uh, verse number 12, he speaks of the fellow named Epaphras. Uh, he's, he's called Epaphras here. In other books, he's called Epaphroditus, same fella. But he speaks of this in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, notice this, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. So this is an interesting one because it's the will of God for us to stand perfect, which means more mature, and complete in the will of God. It's God's will for us not only to know His will, but that we mature in it, that we are complete in it, that we have full understanding of it, that we are obedient to it, that we're following after it wholeheartedly. There's a level of maturity when it comes to these things that we know to be the will of God in our lives. And this is the will of God. So much so that Epaphras was praying for it. He said, I'm praying that the... He talks about Epaphras praying that you may be uh, perfect and complete uh, in all the will of God. Not just part of it, not some of it, all of it. Now, where do we find the will of God? We find it in His Word. So what he's telling us here is that he's praying that we are perfect and complete in this book. Uh, and again, this is the will of God, that we do these things. That we are, that we are perfect and complete in the will of God. All right, that one doesn't take a whole lot of developing because it's pretty self-explanatory. Let's go on to Second Timothy chapter two. Second Timothy chapter two, and uh, we'll look in verse number three. Second Timothy chapter two. He says, "Thou therefore endure hardness." Now let's see what the therefore is. Alright, let's see what he laid down for him. Let's look in verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Well, what is that therefore? Uh, he talks about in verse number 16, The Lord giveth mercy, or give mercy unto the house of Nestor, 
For he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. And in how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Now, we don't find the word will in this place, but we do find the phrase please him. This is something that pleases God. And he says that those that please God are those that will endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So I've written down a couple things here. First of all, uh, some things about a good soldier. What, what makes up a good soldier? Um, there was a fellow years ago when Alexander the Great was conquering the world at the time. Uh, it was the policy that if any person from their uh, army, from Alexander the Great's army, uh, fled in the face of battle, that they were to be put to death. And uh, they captured a few young men uh, that had uh, fled in the time of battle. And they were sentenced to, to die. And then on an unusual day, uh, Alexander the Great was um, there and was present at the, at the time where they were getting ready to put these fellows to death. And he went up to each of them and he asked them why they deserted. And each of them said, because I'm afraid. And he asked them what their name was. And each of them was sentenced to death. And he comes to one of the young men and he said, Sir, what, a young man, what's your name? And he said, My name is Alexander. He said, Why did you desert? He said, Because I was afraid in the face of battle. And Alexander told him this. He said, Young man, either change your name or change your conduct. The idea was that there was uh, a good soldier is, is not someone who uh, turns in the, in the day of battle. Uh, he's not someone who fades away. He's one who stands strong. Uh, a good soldier is one that uh, will obey the commands of his commander. A good soldier is one that will give implicit loyalty. He doesn't question the order. He just follows the order. By the way, it would do us well, wouldn't it? If we would implicitly obey Christ. Not question it. Just say, Lord, I, I'm, I'm willing to do it. But notice what Paul says about this good soldier. There's two things uh, that are, uh, I'm sorry, uh, one, one thing majorly that he deals with here. And he says in verse number 4, he says, No man that warreth, notice this phrase, entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. So he's saying we are to be a good soldier. We're to be one that is marked by the fact that we are not entangled with the affairs of this life. Why? Because it pleases Him that has chosen Him to be a good soldier. And that's, that's what the Bible's teaching us here. If we want to please God, if we want to do what is His desire for us, then we need to not entangle ourselves with the affairs of this life. I, I think there's actually further Scripture on this. Uh, the Bible further says, set your affection on things above. In fact, let's go ahead and turn over there. Colossians chapter 3, I believe it is. If you then be Verse number 1, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And so, uh, a good soldier is not going to be entangled 
with things in this life. His, his focus, his desire, because he wants to please the one that's called him, his desire is to put his thoughts on heavenly things. What is it that my Savior would be pleased with? What part of my life would be pleasing to Him? And I want to make sure that it's doing that. What part of my obedience to His Word would please Him? And I want to make sure I'm doing that. And I'm pursuing that. When it comes to my service for Him, I want to make sure that I'm pleasing Him by being obedient to these things. Not being entangled with the affairs of this world. The Bible tells us, and Paul wrote this, he said, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. We're not to set our affections on the things of this world. Why? Because it will draw us back into bondage again. We'll become ensnared. We'll become entangled with it again. In order to please the Savior, in order to please the One that's called us to be a good soldier, we need to not concern ourselves or be... Uh, entangled with the affairs of this life so that we can please Him and chosen Him to be a good soldier. And this is something that is pleasing to God. And we could certainly say it would be within His will. And then lastly is 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. So we need to make sure that we're doing our calling, things that God's called us to do. He's called us to holiness, sanctification. He's called us to be saints. He's called us um, to abide with Him. And so that is the will of God. We've learned secondly tonight that we are to be perfect and complete in all the will of God. And that the, that's the will of God. That we mature, that we're complete in all the will of God. we found now that we're to not entangle ourselves with the affairs of this life. And that's well-pleasing or pleasing to God. And lastly, we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 17. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing. I'm sorry, let's, I'm, verse number 12. I need to start further back. I started too far down. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 12. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil... And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer uh, to every man uh, that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you, with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. And again, we've taught you before that when conversation is used in this context, it is dealing with our manner of life, the way we live. So even though they may speak evil of you, they try to accuse you, let your manner of life, let your testimony silence them. We ought to live in such a way that if we were taken before a court of law and falsely accused, it would be so ludicrous because of the manner of life that we live that the case would be dismissed. For it is better, now here we are at the verse we were, we were trying to get to, but for it is better if the will of God if be, uh, be so that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. Now there's a couple of things in this passage. It does not say that every person 
uh, is going to have to suffer. But it does say, if ye suffer, if so be, uh, if the will of God be so. And so I wrote this down. Sometimes it is God's will for us to suffer. Not in every case. Uh, in fact, in uh, Hebrews chapter 13, I think it is, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, Ye have not, he just talked about those that were martyred and by faith they were sawn asunder and, and all of this. And he said, Ye have not resisted unto blood. We've not yet been called to suffer as some have had to suffer through history for the cause of Christ. We think that our uh, being criticized, being ridiculed, maybe even having a society that's anti-God and having to live in it is our suffering. But the truth is, while it may be inconvenient, while it may not be the easiest place to live, we really haven't suffered yet. And so he says, For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. So you may suffer. When you do, make sure that it's for well-doing, for doing good, not for doing evil. Now, he says, For Christ hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, uh, but quickened by the Spirit. And then uh, turn to First Peter chapter 4, just over uh, one chapter. And we're going to look at a few other verses here regarding this suffering. Verse 12, once again. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing hath happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may, uh, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part He is evil spoken of, but on your part He is glorified. So this is the fiery trial that sometimes we may have to endure. He spoke of it in chapter uh, 3. We're in chapter 4 now, and the same thing is getting a little more uh, detail, if you will, from the Apostle Peter. But let none of you, verse 15, suffer as a murderer or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. So make sure that we're not living in such a way that that's what we suffer for. We're to be suffering for what's right, if anything. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. For the time has come that judgment must begin in the house of God. And if it first begin in us, what shall the end of them be? Uh, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel? And if righteousness, uh, righteous, if the righteous scarcely shall be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according, notice this, to the what? So sometimes it is the will of God for us to suffer. That suffering needs to be, and it will never be the will of God for us to suffer for evil. If we suffer, and it's God's will that we do so, it will always be suffering for good, suffering for righteousness. And he says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. Well, what is this well-doing that's spoken of here? I think there are several things that are found uh, in the preceding verses that are in indicators of what this well-doing is. First one's found in verse number 13. Let's look there very quickly. 
He says, But rejoice in so much as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. One of the indicators of these good, uh, these um, uh, well-doing, when we're suffering, to do well, the first way we do well when we're suffering is to rejoice. To rejoice. This is well-doing during suffering, times of suffering. We rejoice. Why do we rejoice? Because we get to be a partaker of Christ's sufferings. As He suffered for the sins of man, and he was, all, he was all holy and right and pure, and He suffered being innocent, we ought to be able to rejoice that we have the privilege to suffer the way Christ did for that which is right. And so Paul, uh, Peter speaks of that here in verse number 13. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings. The second indicator of doing well or well-doing that, that Peter's trying to get us to do here is found in verse number 16. He says, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Two things here. We're not to be ashamed. This is well-doing during suffering for that which is right. If we get persecuted, if we're suffering for that which is right, we need to not be ashamed. And secondly, we need to glorify God. We need to glorify God. I love the story of Paul and Silas in the prison at midnight. Beaten, they were chained in the innermost part of the prison. And at midnight, they were singing hymns. What What an amazing testimony. Let Him glorify God. Uh, and so we find that this is part of our well-doing. This is what will silence those that are trying to cause us to suffer even more for well-doing. Number, verse number 19, we find another thing that is an indicator of our well-doing or is a, a, a characteristic of our well-doing. He says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God, notice this, commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. Now, committing uh, the uh, keeping of their souls is an act of faith. Uh, Whatever it is that God desires to do in that situation, we need to trust Him, no matter what the suffering is, no matter what the circumstances are. A great illustration of this is the three Hebrew boys standing before Nebuchadnezzar, getting ready to be thrown into the fiery furnace. They said, Be it known unto thee, O king, our God will deliver us. But if not, we will not bow. What were they doing? They were committing their future, what was going to happen to them, to God's hands. They were trusting Him with it. They were committing the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing. Now again, if we're doing wrong and we're being punished for it, That's not the time to say, well, God will deliver me from this. You were doing wrong. That's just the consequences of your doing wrong. We're talking about suffering for for doing right, for well-doing. What are we supposed to do? We're to trust Him. We're to commit our souls to Him. Lord, whatever the outcome is. If you never had the opportunity to read Fox's Book of Martyrs and read of the, the thousands and thousands of folks and literally tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands at this point throughout history, have been put to death for the cause of Christ. And listen to the faithfulness as these folks were sent to unbelievable torments and tortures, not for anything wrong that they had done, 
but for simply proclaiming the, the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as they would go to the stake, or as they would go to the lions, or as they were getting ready to be sawn asunder or burned in oil, they would say, Lord, we commend our spirit to You. We're trusting You. We will not. We will not bow the knee. We will not recant. We will not turn from our faith. Now, folks, we've not had the opportunity in our lifetime to be in a situation like that. I'm grateful for that. But the day may come. And when we do have to suffer for well-doing, we need to make sure that we commit the keeping of our souls to the Lord. To make sure that we say, Lord, I, I trust You implicitly. I give You all of my faith. Whatever the outcome is, whether You choose to deliver by life or by death, I will remain faithful. Why? There's two reasons given here, I believe. You can, you can look at them with me and you can decide on your own. But He says, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful Creator. Now, faithful is certainly an adjective that describes Him being the Creator, capital C. And there is no doubt that our God has been faithful. How often is He faithful? Is there ever a time He's not? Then could we say that He is always faithful to us? Then this is what we look to. In times of suffering for well-doing, to be able to commit our soul to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to stand firm. We need to remember He was faithful to us. The least I can do is be faithful to Him. I used to, as a young person, used to say, uh, boy, if I ever lived in those days, I, I'd, I'd be faithful unto death. But the truth is, most of us don't know if we would be faithful unto death. In fact, I would say this, none of us know until the time came. If we're not willing to live for Him, how do we think that we would ever be willing to die for Him? If we're not willing to, to suffer the ridicule and the inconvenience of a society that ridicules godly living and obedience to God's Word, and as a result we're embarrassed of that and we don't live that way because we don't want to have to suffer the reproach, how in the world do we ever think we would stand in a day where we may be asked to give our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that time never comes. I hope the rapture comes before the end. But there have been hundreds of thousands of people down through history that have had to do that. Oh, I hope and I pray that I would have enough strength of faith and commitment to God that I would be able to go to the point of even death to stand for Him. To stand for what is right. I'm amazed at how many Christians, and I would even say this, I'm amazed at how many preachers cave in on what they believe to be true according to God's Word simply because of peer pressure, ridicule, the embarrassment of other people questioning them. 
Folks, if we have no more backbone in us than that, then I don't know that we would ever be able to be faithful unto death. Peter tells them, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to Him in well-doing as unto a faithful, and then the word Creator. He made us. He owns us. I should be able to commit unto Him absolutely, without question. First of all, because He's always been faithful to me. There's never one time He's been unfaithful. And secondly, because He made me. He created me. Those ought to be enough reason for us to be faithful to the Lord. Peter says that if it is the will of God for us to suffer, then let us suffer for well-doing. Let us suffer. And when those times come and we are suffering, let us rejoice. Let us not be ashamed. Let us give glory to God. And let us commit the keeping of our souls to Him and trust Him implicitly. No matter what the, no matter what the suffering is that comes our way, to say, Lord, while I may not understand it, I do trust You. And I will trust You even to the point of death. These are things that we found that specifically speak about it being the will of God. But I will say this, and I want to end with this tonight. Our entire Bible is an indication of God's will for us. Every command that's given is God's will. Everything that He tells us not to do is God's will. Everything He tells us to do is God's will. It doesn't have to have. We've looked at passages that use the express, the express, the express phrase, the will of God, or pleasing Him. But folks, everything in Scripture that God has chosen to give us as instructions for life, every single one of them are His will. All of it. And so you can take what we've studied here tonight as maybe just some samples of how to find what God's will for our life is. Look for it in Scripture. When you come across something that tells us you ought to live this way, you ought to act this way. You ought to have this kind of attitude. You ought to have this kind of mind. That's God's will. When He talks about the things that we should abstain from and flee from and resist, that's God's will. And every bit of Scripture that's been given to us in here that indicates God's instructions for us to live are His will. And so next time somebody says, how do I know what God's will for my life is? The easiest answer to give them is, read your Bible. It is full of His will. I will tell you this, that the more we submit to His will, I believe the clearer our vision is to see His plan for our life. There are times that God chooses not to reveal His plan to us. What do we do in those cases? Do we sit there and fret and wring our hands and say, boy, I just don't understand what God's doing? No, we trust Him. If He chooses not to show His plan for our life, we trust Him. Make sure you're doing His will and trust Him. And it's that simple. We can go on and on and on for a year 
pulling things out of Scripture that are God's will. But the easiest thing to say is, it's full of it. Do this wholeheartedly, without reservation, with absolute commitment, with steadfastness. And God may choose to show you His plan. And if He does, thank Him for it. And if He doesn't, you trust Him anyway and keep stepping one step at a time. I hope that will be a help to you. And uh, Lord willing, next week we'll begin a new study. All right, let's go ahead and stand. We'll be dismissed. Father, we thank You for Your Word. And Lord, there are often times that we read it. We even have understanding.